Let me first just um, say, if you are a child here from pre-K to fourth grade, I'm going to dismiss you to Kids Crew. Kids Crew worship just for our children. You can head on this way. Again, pre-K to fourth grade. We're going to be heading upstairs for a time of worship for our kids. And if you're here with us today, or if you're watching uh, on the online as well, I want to just invite you to take your Bible and turn to John chapter 4. If you've got a Bible here with you, turn it to John chapter 4 at home, grab your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, we have some right there in the pew in front of you. John chapter 4. And we're continuing with the sermon series called Reset, and we're focusing on spiritual disciplines, ways that we walk through our Christian faith and spend time with the Lord. And today we're going to be talking about worship and really answering the question, what is worship? You know, sometimes in our English language, we miss out on the full meaning of words when they're translated from other languages and contexts. Worship in the English language basically means ascribing worth, giving worth to something or someone. But it's such a flexible term in our language, we can give it a myriad of meanings. There's a lot that we can do with worship in the English language. And even more, in church, we use the word worship a lot, right? We use it to describe what we're doing right now, the worship service. We use it to describe the music that we sing. We even can, can use it to describe the life that we live. But what is worship really? And today I want us to see this key truth. This morning our key truth is that worship is our response to the glory and the authority of God. That's our key truth today. When we encounter the presence of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, our response is worship. And then worship can be expressed in many ways. And we often get caught up in those expressions. And we miss out on where it all begins. And so today we're going to look more about what is worship? What is that response? What does it mean to respond to the glory and the authority of God? John chapter 4 gives us a clearer picture of the meaning of worship and what it means to respond. So let's take a look at that today. We're going to read, start reading verses 1 through 26 in John chapter 4. Now read along with me, please. And when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John... Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field of Jacob, excuse me, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, which is about noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you the living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? 
Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So again, we're talking about the meaning of worship this morning. And that worship is the response to the glory and authority of God. So let's see what John chapter 4 tells us about this. The first thing that we see is that we do not worship through ritual. Now, we'll see this a little bit closer in verses 19 through 21. But before we get there, I want to talk a little bit about what we've read so far. Now, this is an extraordinary conversation that we're, that we're getting a chance to see through the Gospel of John between Jesus and this woman of Samaria at Jacob's well. Now, first, Jesus is talking to someone that in Jewish society, I mean, this would be a shock. This would be a social shock to anyone because Jews... Hated Samaritans. And in fact, you see it here. I mean, John wrote this in his gospel that Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. Jews did not like them. Samaritans are descendants of the nation, the northern kingdom of the nation of Israel, that over 700 years before this time were occupied and the kingdom was destroyed by Samaria. And the people in that region were scattered. And they married people outside of the nation of Israel. And so then. Their descendants are now what the Jews looked down upon. They, they didn't like it, that the fact that they married people that weren't Jews. And so Jesus is crossing this social boundary that was put in place to talk to the Samaritan. And even on top of that, he's talking to a woman, which again, in the culture in this time, didn't happen. So he's talking to a Samaritan woman. This is extraordinary. He's crossing that boundary because Jesus, in his love, in his mercy, is sharing the gospel with her. He knows that she needs the gospel. He doesn't let those boundaries stop him. And not only was she a Samaritan woman, but she's at this well in the heat of the day. She's there around noon. Now, people didn't go to the well to get water at noon. They would go in the morning. 
but as we see her lifestyle choices that, that Jesus points out, it's led her to be an outcast in her community. So she doesn't want to be around other people. So she goes to the well at noon. She doesn't go in the morning when everyone else goes. She wants to avoid people. And Jesus talks to her. He shares with her the hope of eternal life. And it begins to demonstrate his power that the Holy Spirit works in him. He begins to demonstrate this by revealing to her the brokenness in her life. Now, he's not doing this to shame her. He's not doing this to try and put her down. What Jesus is trying to do is demonstrate the emptiness that she has in life, that she's tried to fill with other things. Now, this is just kind of an extra. This is an aside. But how many times do we try to do this? How many times do we try to fill our lives with things that just leave us empty? Am I right? I mean, this woman tried to fill her life with men. And as we all know, men just let you down. Can I get an amen? Amen. Ladies, thank you. But how many times do we try to do it where we fill our lives with people, with a spouse, or with friends, or with stuff, or with status, or career, or money? Just leaves us empty, leaves us thirsty again. Okay, that was just extra. All right, so let's move on from that. The Samaritan woman, she tries to change the subject subtly, right? Jesus is getting a little too personal. She tries to change the subject. He says, you know, I, I, I can see that you're a prophet. And she's really, I mean, she's interested in what Jesus has to say. So she moves on to, and she tries to address this issue of worship. And she says, you know, we worship here on this mountain. But you and the Jews say that you, you have to worship in Jerusalem. At the temple. So, what's true? And Jesus points out to her that it's neither because she's asking the wrong question. She's focused on the how of worship and not the who. She's focused on the ritual, on the expression of worship. She thinks that it's what really matters is where they worship. It's not about necessarily who they're worshiping, but how they do it. And do we ever get this way? She's not the only one that misses the point, though. Jesus says in Matthew 15, 8, that these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And he's quoting Isaiah chapter 29. People in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, God's people, they missed it. They focused on the how, not the who. And then then the people in the New Testament that Jesus comes to bring the gospel to, he points out that they're missing it, too. They're focused on the ritual. Yes, we express worship in many different ways. But it's all empty. All those things that we do to worship the Lord are empty if we forget the who. If we forget who they're about. So the first thing we see, as followers of Christ, we must recognize that worship does not happen through rituals. Through going through the motions of expressing worship. Now, I think we understand this, but here's an example. Okay, gentlemen, listen, listen to me for a moment. Imagine that it's you and your wife's anniversary. And you decide, I'm going to buy a beautiful bouquet of flowers. Now, flowers are not cheap. At least the ones you should buy for your wife are not cheap. Okay? That's another extra. Don't buy the cheap ones. All right? So, you decide, I'm, I'm going to, okay, it's my anniversary. 
going to spend some, spend some extra money. I'm going to splurge, buy some flowers. And you have them delivered. That's so great, right? But that's all you do. That morning, you didn't even say hello to your wife. You didn't say I love you or have a good day or anything. You get home and it's the same thing. You don't, you don't even talk to her. You just grab your food and go sit down and watch TV. And then you play on your phone for a little bit. Or maybe you go out and run some errands. But you never say anything. And then you come back from running errands and you, your wife is upset. And you don't, you don't, I don't understand why. I got you flowers. But you haven't spoken to her. You haven't said, I love her. I really hope that that's a, that's a hypothetical situation. And no one is like, oh yeah, I've done that before. <laughs> I may or may not have done something like that. Similar in, I may not be using a real life example to describe this. But I think we understand, right? How, how empty would that be? It's like getting someone a gift on their birthday and saying, well, it's your birthday, I had to get you a gift. But you'd be like, thanks, that really means a lot. That's how we treat God. That's what we think our worship is. I'm going to sing you this song. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to go to church. But that's it. We don't spend time with the Lord any other time throughout the week or even think about him. Our lives aren't, aren't about him. But we think as long as we can do these things, go through these rituals, that's worship. But we miss it. That's not what God desires from us. So first we see that we do not worship through rituals. And the second thing we're going to see is that instead we worship through relationship. And the problem with trying to worship only through rituals is that it doesn't require a relationship with God. And Jesus states this. We're looking closely in verses 22 through 24. He says, you worship what you do not know. He explains to her that worship happens in a relationship with God. A relationship with God gives meaning to the motions that we go through, brings meaning to the expressions of worship. He says that those who worship the Father must worship in spirit and in truth. And spirit is much more than something that we do. It's not just an action. Worshiping in spirit is not performing a sacrifice like someone did during the time of Jesus or even like singing a song today or even reading your Bible in the morning. Worshiping in spirit means our heart and spirit drive our actions. It means that the Holy Spirit works in our lives to help us respond to who God is. And then what we do from there is our expression of that. But worshiping in spirit means the Holy Spirit is working in us. And that might happen through prayer, through Bible study, through singing. But it's the Spirit working in us. It requires a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said worship in spirit, and he said worship in truth. So not only does it require a relationship with the Holy Spirit, but it requires a relationship with the truth, and the truth is Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. We worship God through a relationship with God. Through God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In spirit and in truth. The Samaritan woman, she lived in a culture where they, excuse me, they worshipped God through ritual and not relationship. But the only way to worship is through a relationship with God. And Jesus is saying that. Through him. Through the Messiah. 
Now, in order to truly worship God, we must have a relationship with him. And let me describe it in this way. Uh, Over the past year or so, I've gotten into the game of golf. And um, I want to be honest that I don't call myself a golfer because I just don't feel like I'm... I don't have the level of skill to call myself a golfer, but I think that we can understand this idea of having a real relationship with God through this idea of, of the fact that, you know, I've, I've, got some, I've got some clubs. Most of the, what I have, people have given me, which I'm really grateful for. I have some clubs that people have given me. I've got a little bit of gear and stuff, and I go out there, and I can, I can hit the ball off the tee most of the time, and it gets from the, the tee to the, the hole eventually. Okay, I'm out there. Uh, it's, it's fun, we enjoy it, but uh, that's, that, that's, that's my relationship with golf. Now imagine, if you will, that I went out and I, and I bought clubs. Not, not just, I mean, I bought some really nice clubs. I bought shoes. I bought, you know, the nice little visor. I got a little scorecard. I even bought myself a golf cart. But what if I did all that and it just sat in the garage? But I went around and I said, you know what, I'm a golfer. I've got clubs in the garage and a golf cart. I'm a golfer but I never went out and played. Am I really a golfer? Okay. Am I really a golfer? Thank you. I'm not a golfer, right? That's right. I may have all the gear, but I don't ever spend time with the game. I'm not really a golfer. That's not real. Now, where I'm, here's where I am in real life with golf, okay? I've got some stuff, and I like to go play. I, I get out there when I can. I practice when I can, even though the practice isn't that great. And so... Um, but I, I enjoy it. It's casual. It's a casual relationship with golf. All right, I'm a casual golfer. Um, that's it. But then you turn on the TV, and then you watch the Masters, and you see real golfers. Guys that spend a lot of time, hours, playing the game. Their life is golf. It's different. They're golfers. Right? There's a difference. You know, in our relationship with God, when we don't spend time with the Lord, we don't have a relationship with Him. Some of us are here today. You may not have at all a relationship with God. You may think that I'm here at church. I've got a Bible. You may have the gear, but you don't even have a relationship with Jesus. You've never taken that step and said, Jesus, I'm going to give my life to follow you. You think that you've done these things to help make a relationship with God happen, but the the truth is a relationship only happens through Jesus and what he's done on the cross. And it comes through first and foremost saying, Jesus, I'm going to give you my life. You're my Lord. Some of us here today have never done that. And there's some of us here today that our relationship with God is very casual, right? Whenever it's convenient, when you have the time, God desires a relationship with us that is real when we spend time with him. That's when real worship happens. That's what it really means to worship the Lord. We worship through relationship. So we've seen that we do not worship through ritual. Instead, we worship through relationship. And we worship, finally, we're going to see, we worship when we respond. Let's take a look at verses 27 through 30 and 39 through 42. But I want to read the rest of what this chapter has for us. So we pick it up in verse 27. We see this. 
Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or, Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Let's move down to verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of all the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. How incredible is that? Remember our key truth from today? Worship is our response to the glory and the authority of God. And earlier, Lynn Renee read from Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah is in the temple. And this is another sermon for another time. But we see that Isaiah, he sees the glory of God. And what's his response? He sees his sin. And then God says, who's going to go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. When he finally sees the real presence of God, Isaiah is living in a time in that chapter, he's living in a time when worship is all about ritual, not relationship. And this king who worshiped God through only ritual, didn't have a relationship with God, he, he dies and he's in the temple. And then he sees the real glory of God and it changes him. He responds in worship. We see here in this passage that the woman who meets Jesus, who encounters the presence of Jesus, goes and tells her whole village about the Messiah, shares the gospel with them, brings them to Jesus. She responds. She worships. In fact, the meaning of the words most commonly used for worship in the the, uh, Old and New Testament Help us to see that worship is a response. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for worship is shakah. It's a reflexive verb. To bow, it means to bow down or, or to prostrate oneself before someone else in authority. To bow down before the glory and authority of the Lord. A reflexive verb, okay, don't lose me because we're talking English things, but reflexive just means that it's something that you respond to. It's like when the doctor would hit your knee with the little mallet and you're leg would pop up. It's a reflex. It's something that happens because of something else. That's shakah. That's in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's the Greek word proskuneo. In fact, that's what we see here in chapter 4. And it's the same meaning to bow down before someone in authority, to lower oneself before maybe a a high-ranking military officer or someone uh, that's, that's royalty, to proskuneo. Dr. Stuart Sheehan Someone who writes about worship describes it in this way from his book on worship. He says, Worship certainly acknowledges the worth of God. But what is the appropriate response to his worth? What will a man do to himself because he recognizes the worth of God? The believer who truly worships responds to God by doing something to himself. He humbles himself. He submits. Worship is our response to God. And this changes everything that we do. This changes our entire relationship with God. Because now all that we do for Him 
is because of him. And if we miss that, if we miss the fact that worship is a response to God, what happens is all that we do becomes about us. We're trying to make ourselves feel better or we're trying to tick off the boxes in what we think is something that we're supposed to do. But when we see worship as a response to God, it becomes about Him. We pray because He's worthy of our prayers. We pray because we are submitting and surrendering to Him. We read our Bible because we want to spend time with Him because He's spoken to us. Because He's worth spending time with. And we share our faith because we've encountered Someone so incredible that we cannot help but tell others about him. That's what happens with this woman. She forgets that she's an outcast. She forgets that the people in her village don't like her and that she probably doesn't like them. She goes back to them. She can't keep this inside. When we meet God, when we spend time in his presence, it changes us. And we respond in worship. We must worship God by responding to his glory and authority. And we can only do this by spending time in his presence. About two years ago, I was working on my doctorate, and I was in one of my final seminars, and it was about worship and evangelism. And part of that uh, seminar was developing a survey. Each of us had to develop our own surveys to measure and evaluate our corporate worship. That means when everyone comes together to worship. We had to evaluate our worship on Sundays. And so I did that. Uh, I came up with a survey with about 15 questions, and I passed it out to several people in the church. And it dealt with different aspects of the worship service. But one thing that really stood out to me and to the people that took the survey too was the fact that there, there was a question that had to do with how much time you spend preparing throughout the week for worship on Sunday. And it just kind of, I mean, it, it took us all by surprise. And it showed me that there was, a, there was just a, a gap in our worship, that we were spending time on Sundays worshiping, but there wasn't much time throughout the week spending time personally in worship, responding to God on a personal level. So that's what helped, that's what uh, led me to the, the, the project that I worked on for my doctorate was developing a, some material and some curriculum to help people spend time with the Lord to develop personal worship practices where they spent time in prayer, in Bible study, in meditation, in praise, sharing their testimony and serving others. And all that was not something that we're doing to try and make ourselves be better Christians, but we were responding to God. It was about spending time with Him. That works on a personal level, but also that's the same thing in corporate worship when we meet together. When we sing, when the word is shared, when we have testimony and prayer, baptism, the Lord's Supper, offering that we take, all of that is for the Lord. It's responding to who he is. And you may notice when we sing, most times the the first songs that we sing on a Sunday morning are songs meant to point that out, meant to look to the Lord, remember him, see who he is, crown him with many crowns giving him the glory he deserves, seeing him above us, putting ourselves in the right place, humbling ourselves, seeing the glory of God. And if you've ever seen that term, it says call to worship. You may have seen that on the bulletin or something else. That's what that means. 
We're setting the stage to respond. And that brings us back to our key truth. That worship is our response to the glory and the authority of God. So today my question is, is how will you respond? How will you respond to the Lord today? Have you been trying to worship God through empty rituals? Has that been it for you? Are you trying to worship a God that you really do not know? Today I'm, I'm going to ask you if, you, if you've never done this before, today you can move from ritual to relationship. You can have a real relationship with Jesus. You can come down front. Brad and I are going to be here. You can, if we can help to pray with you to give your life to Jesus today. Now, you may be here and you have a relationship with God. But like I mentioned earlier, is it casual for you? Do you spend time with the Lord? Maybe there's something today God's calling you and your response to Him is to reorganize, to reprioritize your time and the pursuits that you have to spend time with the Lord. And just starting with surrendering to Him, saying, God, I want to follow you. Lead me. Holy Spirit, lead me. Maybe God's calling you to something like that today. However it is, we respond to God. That's our worship to Him. The things that we do from that, that's how we express it. But our worship is our response to God. I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to invite our worship team back up. We're going to have a chance to now respond to the Lord in worship through song, but also through our actions, through prayer, through response. Like I said, Brad and I will be down here at the front. And we'd love to visit with you more about what that means. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much. We thank you that you have loved us to not leave us alone. You have loved us to be here with us, to speak to us through your word, to guide us through your spirit, to give your life on the cross, to bring us hope, to give us the eternal water, the living water. You have brought hope to us. Help us to see that. Help us to see who you are. And not just what you've done for us, but help us to see who you are, your glory. Help us to see that you are God and we are not. And above all, help us to respond to that truth today. Help us to not just sit here and wait for the song to be over, but help us to respond, open up our hearts, and to move. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and you'd like to respond, we'll be down front here, but you can also just come and pray at the altar. Pray where you are, but today do not miss out on this opportunity to respond to the Lord.